Hey there, welcome back to another episode of the Conversing Labs podcast. I'm your host, Paul Roberts. I'm the cyber content lead here at Reversing Labs. I'm editor in chief at the Security Ledger. And it's just great to have you back. And uh, today we have uh, an amazing and informative Conversing Labs episode for you. I'm really excited to bring it to you. As you know from watching our previous episodes, here at Conversing Labs, we speak with like the top experts in areas like malware hunting, threat intelligence, as well as you know software assurance, software um, uh, supply chain, source code analysis, all those areas. Um, this week, we're going to be doing a deep dive on a cyber threat that doesn't really get as much attention as it deserves, but is that is among the costliest and most devastating, both for private individuals as well as for corporations, enterprises, and, and organizations everywhere. Uh, that is business email compromise, or BEC, as it's known uh, in industry parlance. And to learn more about what's happening with BEC scams, we've invited one of the most recognized experts in BEC attacks, which is Ronnie Tokazowski into the studio. Ronnie is a principal threat advisor at the firm CoFence and widely recognized as that BEC guy. And uh, he's an expert on business email compromise scam. And he also hosts a YouTube channel, Ronnie Rants, which explores a lot of the issues um, related to cyber crime, online scams and, and, and more. And you should definitely check it out. We'll put a link to it in the post. Um, but anyway, Rodney, Ronnie, welcome. We're it's great to have you as a guest on Conversing Labs. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me and happy to come and talk all of the uh, quote unquote wonderful things that we have on the uh, on the BEC side of the world. Yeah. And you it's funny because you on your LinkedIn profile and your Twitter handle, you're sort of like, I'm the BEC guy. Like this is yeah. this is my this is my passion project or the thing I, mm -hmm. I really am focused on. Yeah. I, I was saying the most ironic thing with that was when I started this seven years ago. It was a, hey, let's start a mailing list and start tracking this stuff. And I never realized how big of a problem I would be inheriting trying to find this stuff. So I try and make it easy because it's like if you whisper BEC somewhere on the internet three times, like I magically go, poof, here I am. So I'm kind of like a boogeyman. <laughs> You're, you have very good, like, uh, like, you know, Google cred around the BEC topic. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, and we'll talk about that actually, because that that has that's very helpful in some ways, um, in a lot of ways. Um, so your Twitter Twitter handle uh, for folks who might be looking is I Heart Malware. That's I H E R mm -hmm. H E A R T Malware, um, which I love. And um, but it sort of suggests you know your your interests are not simply business email compromise scams. Your your history in this in this field goes goes further back. So tell us just a little bit about sort of yourself and your origin story and how you got into the business of analyzing malware and then online scams. Sure. So uh, so yeah, Ryan Tokzowski, principal threat advisor here at Cofence. Um, I got started in a career work in my career working at a defense contractor um, out in the the DC area. So when I started there. I went on as a uh, tier one analyst where I was uh, looking at different logs, uh, different intrusions that were coming into the organization. And I always had an interest with computer viruses for some for some weird reason. Um, even like growing up, I would do tech support for uh, local home calls growing up on the Outer Banks. And I, if I couldn't pull off the if I couldn't get the virus off the computer with AV, um, I would always like surgically go in there. And this was like the Windows 98 days, Windows XP days. Melissa, I love you, that type of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Blaster, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, MS Blast, Blaster. So big. M yeah, 
you know, all those fun days. Um, but working at the defense contractor, I eventually got promoted up to a malware analyst. And at the time, we were uh, fighting and responding to a lot of um, advanced persistent threat attacks. So we would respond to things like Comment Crew. We would work with UPS. We would work with folks like King Kong. Um, we worked with dozens and dozens of different APT groups. And my role is to go and reverse that malware, identify indicators of compromise that was looking at the malware from not just from a, okay, here's a hash, but try and think one layer deeper to where, okay, what is a signature that I can create that the scammers would not think of re uh, taking that out? And then we would take that and put that into our suite of tools to try and identify those patterns. So growing up, I always love puzzles. I always love problem solving. And that's just how, that's just how I'm wired. Um, and that's where the name iHeartMalware came from was because I absolutely loved taking the viruses apart, figuring out how they work. It's funny that that sort of core interest in sort of puzzle solving, right? Taking things apart and kind of figuring out how they work that, you know, you talk to people who do malware reverse analysis or threat mm -hmm. hunting, incident response, you know, all this type of stuff. That is just a common thread that ties them all together like that, that core personality trait. Um, so not surprising mm -hmm. to hear you say that. Um, yep. Interesting, you're working in the defense sector that the defense sector is kind of what gave us APT as a acronym and as a term. And, and if I understand it correctly, APT mm -hmm. was initially kind of a euphemism of talking about nation states before we talked openly about the fact that countries like China were hacking into you know government networks and government contractors. And, and this was kind yeah. of a, a, a friendly or non-provocative uh, mm -hmm. way of referring to like China, basically. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. And, and it's like, yeah, we can talk all around, <laughs> but yeah, it was pretty much saying Chinese hackers hacking into defense contractors. Like that's, hey, there you go. Anybody who's doing it, that's what we call it. What it means, applies so. to a lot of things, not just nation state actors, but cyber criminal actors, right? It's it's more of a mm -hmm. collection of, of tactics and techniques. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say, now, so, I would say now, now the definition APT means some hacker hacked into my company and I couldn't figure out why they did it or how they got into it. So we're going to slap the term APT on there to make us sound special that we really got taken advantage by something. But that's how that's right. how it is now. Is it's, it right. becomes a very much it's a lot looser than it really. Now it's just like a euphemism for like somebody dunked on me, basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I got I got hacked. I want the FBI to come help. Call it APT. Yes. There we go. This our, APT our appears to be a fourteen year old in England. Quit leaking our secrets, Paul. Quit leaking the secrets. So business email compromise is, so, so you started out doing malware um, analysis, kind of traditional kind of uh, incident response, mm -hmm. malware analysis, taking apart bad software that ended up on government networks or corporate networks. Um, how did you kind of go from that to focusing more on online frauds and scams, in particular business email compromise scams? So when I was working at the defense contractor, one of the things I liked doing was I liked letting the malware run live. I liked interacting with it. And some of the times when we would get a phishing email, sometimes I'd actually just respond back and see what would happen. Um, so one of the things I liked doing was always looking at the human behind it. Um, so I ended up leaving the defense contractor, came over to fish me or, or now cofence. And one of the things that we saw was our chief financial officer had gotten an email to, from, uh, Rohit Balani, who was our, who's our, one of our CEOs. And it said, Hey, Ro Hey, uh, Sam, are you in the office? I need to go into a wire transfer. And it was one of those days where I was in the office. I was meeting with Aaron Higby, who was all, who was our CTO at the time. 
And Sam came in. He was like, Ronnie, Aaron, I don't know what is going on, but Rohit just sent me this email. He's like, go figure it out. So what we did was we looked at the email and it was something where like with most phishing emails, there's some lore, there's some power, there's some payload. There was always something with it. And this was one where it looked like it needed a response. It looked like the scammers were eliciting a response. So we gave the attackers exactly what they wanted. We responded back. And to our surprise at the time, we got a response back. It's like, oh, hey, I need you to do this wire transfer. So us being the trolls that we are over at Covents, we were like, hey, let's go ahead and actually engage with the scammers, see what we can do. Um, we got them to send a bank account um, by saying, yes, we're happy to do the, tra the transfer. Um, we were able to track where they were sending the email from. They were, they were coming from the UK. Um, and then we blogged about it. Um, this is going back, I think it was September 2015 at this point. Um, and it was just small was name fraud it, that we really? had, that we didn't realize and understand what was going on. And yeah, yeah, there was there was really no name for business email compromise at the time. So we started talking to a bunch of private researchers. We started talking to a bunch of colleagues, law enforcement, and it was this new trend that we were seeing that was conversational based phishing mm -hmm. attacks that didn't have malware, mm -hmm. they didn't have a payload, and it was pure financially driven. And starting in uh, and around Christmas of 2015, um, and this was kind of when I inherited this BEC problem, um, I made a mailing list and it included a bunch of private researchers, it included law enforcement to try and understand what this was. Um, and that was my first forays into understanding this thing called, again, business email compromise and trying to pick up how this stuff works, what all overlaps with it. And that's kind of that's kind of how it started to spiral. Hmm. Um, so, so in that initial email that you got, were you able to look and say, "Oh, well, this is not from Rohit, so it's it's clearly a fraudulent email," yep. or had they compromised his? Because sometimes they actually compromise the the mm -hmm. source's account, so it's it right. looks, you know, it is basically a legitimate email from their account, yep. but the yep. account's been so, compromised. Yeah, was... So, but this in this case, it was just a phishing email, basically. Yeah. So, it, so was, there was no compromise with this one. Um, the attack they were using was a uh, CEO impersonation. Mm -hmm. So they were impersonating Rohit coming from a different email account that was not Rohit's. Mm -hmm. And they were sending the email to Sam, again, who was our CT, who was our um, uh, CFO at the time, mm -hmm. so trying to get him to do a wire transfer. Mm -hmm. And again, they've mm -hmm. got access to do that. Um, and yeah, like I said, that's, that was the tactic that we saw in that specific attack. And that's a pretty common one, um, and 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 you you that's what you read about the sort of executive emailing sort of well CFO is pretty senior, but often it's a it's a lower level, especially in larger companies. You know they might have lower level employees who actually have authority to do wire transfers, and it's sort of a we need this now. We're doing an acquisition, and this has to go through, and that type of stuff. Um, mm -hmm. uh, what um, th so that was. Uh, seven years ago, um, what form do these scams take now? Is that still basically the template that most of these use or, or has it has it evolved? So the form they take now is yes. Like like just yes, they do. There are so many different <laughs> types of crime that right. we have tracked back to BEC actors doing stuff. Yeah. Um, so I'll kind of take a quick step back and kind of define like what is business email compromise? Um so for a lot of the email attacks that we saw, again, most people think of BEC as just this, the, a CEO or someone pretending to be the CEO sending an email to someone in financial authority to go and make a wire transfer. Um, and that, that was kind of the de facto definition for a really long time. However, when we, I was over at Agari, we actually got some visibility into a group called Scattered Canary. 
And what we discovered was this thing that we were tracking in the industry as BEC was much older than we realized. And the name that that actually was, was called 419 scams. Um, everybody knows what a 419 scam is. It's your Nigerian print scam. Yep. Um, but what had happened, what we observed, this is was, the I'm the widow of Mobutu Sasi Seiko, yeah. and I have billions of dollars in gold. You need to help me get it out of. Yep. Right. Okay. Anyway, yep. Go exactly. Ahead. And 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 what what happened was the scammers realized that they can go and target businesses and other organizations in order to get them to wire money. So it was a so VEC was a more of a shifting of tactic than some brand new thing. And for crimes that we've seen tied back to. The BEC actors doing this stuff again. This was based off of our initial scattered canary report. We saw them targeting FEMA. We saw them targeting do, um, doing traditional BEC. We saw romance scams, check fraud, car wrapping scams. Um, we saw um, uh, email compromises where they would either compromise the email account and send fishes through there. Um, and digging deeper, we actually saw cases of like voodoo and human sacrifices tied back to some of this stuff because of some of the things they were doing over in Nigeria. But the law, but it's an entire laundry list of scams that these scammers are doing. Um, and that's one of the biggest things I would say to take away from this is that when it comes to BEC, it's not just the email side that we see here in the industry. There's a whole underlying ecosystem of suck that um, the scammers are doing. And that's kind of part of this whole fraud, if you will. In addition to the scenario that you just sketched out, uh, I know that uh, these scams also affect individual consumers. So we there was a whole branch of these type of business email compromise attacks that were around like closing on houses, right? Where the attackers would kind of infiltrate and get the, you know, either the deposit or the actual uh, transfer of funds for the purchase of the house sent to another account, you know, and we, we there are a whole bunch of stories about that or, you know, other kind of big purchases. Um, is it, do these mostly affect businesses or are they equally affecting consumers and, and uh, you know, business or enterprise? I would say they're fairly equally hitting the businesses and the consumers. So for the larger amounts of money, they'll go and hit the businesses, but the consumers are losing a lot of money too. And it's not, and for the consumers, it's not just, Hey, you lost a bunch of money. It's also the emotional damage too, because for many of them, it's romance victims who didn't realize they were being socially engineered. And they're now on the hook for millions of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars. Or in the case of like the real estate scam side, it's, hey, I'm going to buy my first home and I wired money to the wrong escrow account because the real estate broker was compromised. Right. And at that point, it becomes hard because that's now somebody's life savings in both cases that is now gone in a lot, in a lot of senses. Just devastating. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely, and that's the thing is it's absolutely devastating for a lot of the people who are pulled into this and they don't realize yeah. it. When we talk about the business email compromise kind of toolkit for the attackers, what's in it? Um, is malware a part of these ever? Um, sometimes never. And, and kind of what, what are the bait building blocks of these attacks? Yeah, so we, we've seen some malware tied back to this, but comparatively, it's very, very small. Um, most of the attacks are, social, are flavors of social engineering where they'll use bodies of text that they can copy paste back and forth to victims and say, hey, I love you. I want to build this relationship with you. Or, hey, I need you to go and do this, uh, update my payroll. Here's my new bank account. Um, and that's one of the big things that they use as part of their repertoire is go ahead and using that as, to do these attacks. In addition to that, so many scammers will go and use lead generation services um, very much the same tools that our marketing teams use in order to find targets. 
Uh, I know I mentioned beforehand, but like our church is, was a good example where people at our church got hit with, with a, with a gift card BEC where they wanted to go and wire say, Hey, go and can you give me a gift card and send it over? Um, we've also seen cases where, again, they'll go and pull information such as people who are controllers of financial information. Um, that's one of the words they like to use to see who has that authority. And they'll go and do those queries in these backend systems to go and pull a listing of 200 uh, companies. And they'll go and get the names and businesses and email accounts right from, again, right from those lead generation services that many of our marketing teams use today. Um, my dad got caught up in one of these scams. Uh, he's in his you know, mm -hmm. mid eighties. And, um, for him, it mm -hmm. was, uh, he visited some website and, uh, there was a little pop-up ad that said, uh, Oh, you know, uh, your computer's been infected. Uh, please call this number. We're mm -hmm. Microsoft and then called the number. And, uh, the person, you know, it was a very sophisticated scam. Uh, I'm Microsoft employee, you know, three, five, nine, two, six. And, you know, here's my name. And, you know, just kind of, credentialing themselves to my dad who didn't know any yep. better. And they, same thing. They had him marching down to, to, you know, Walgreens and buying gift cards to send to Microsoft corporation, a billion dollar company. So, um, mm -hmm. and, uh, and lo and behold, you know, I, I hear that, you know, Walgreens because, you know, uh, Best Buy and Target do better jobs about, you know, signage and stuff around, around gift card purchases to kind of warn people, like, you know, if you're on the phone talking to somebody and they're telling you to buy a gift card, you know, you're being scammed and, and, you know, told him to put his phone away when he went into the store because they've told their clerks to be on the lookout for this and, and so on, but uh, it still cost them, um, you know, uh, mm -hmm. hundreds of dollars. And, um, you know, it was a real painful lesson for him. But, uh, but yep. I, so, which is, so it's not an email in this case, it's a pop-up, but same idea, uh, same concept. Yeah, and, and on the consumer fraud side, a lot of the attacks are play out very similarly emotionally for the yep. victims is because it, a lot of the scammers will use scare tactic or for the for the Indian tech sports time, which is it sounds like that he was hit with. Um, they'll use scare tactics. They'll make you think that your computer is infected. And for the people who are in this, they're vulnerable and they're they're super tense and worked up. Yeah. Um, I was actually doing some research on the age demographic for people who tend to be targeted like this. And for a lot of people who end up being pulled in that in the scam, the primary age group is usually like like 50 and older. Um, that generation grew up during times of war, during times of the Cold War. So that fear and tension is something that is deeply ingrained in them. So these scammers have figured out, albeit whether they know they're doing this or whether they're not, um, that they can go and weaponize that fear and take advantage of that person and scare them into it. And that's one of the things that's, that's really hard psychologically is breaking through to many of those victims is because they feel shameful, they feel guilty. They feel dumb for doing it, but it's something where many of the victims just don't realize that that's a thing that people do. Um, and the analogy I like to give, it's like different knowledge. It's like I would, I'm horrible at working on cars, so I would go bring my car to my mechanic, but my mechanic's not going to go, hey, you're dumb for falling for this. It's like I just truly don't know cars. And likewise, many of these people truly don't know computers and they don't know scams. And as professionals, our jobs kind of help break that barrier down to help articulate yes, that. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I've, uh, I, I often make the analogy of, you know, if somebody came up to you in the, in the supermarket parking lot and, and tried to sell you a, a luxury watch or something, you know, even in that age group, they'd say, yeah, this isn't, this is where you buy a luxury watch. This is the wrong context, you know? Um, yeah. 
exactly. But they don't have the same sense of context and what's appropriate and inappropriate online. Everything seems, you know, everything's Mm -hmm. kind of flat, right? In terms of um, uh, spaces and authority. Yeah. And it's one of those things where when you see something online and when you see that pop up, we, oh, as an industry, we scare people to be watch out for viruses, watch out for scams. And then when someone is threatened with that concept of, oh, hey, you might have a virus. Oh, hey, you might be part of a scam. Let me pay me $300. I'll help walk you through it. Like we're literally training people to be afraid of this stuff and not be skeptical or try and have that critical thing of, okay, people are saying that it's a scam, but who do I trust? Do I trust this person who might be scamming me or is there more to it? One of the things that you pointed out that I think is really interesting and important to note is that, you know, within cybersecurity circles, often... Um, researchers like yourself or experts tend to look down their nose at PEC attacks simply because there mm-hmm. isn't really a technical aspect to them. They are phishing attacks. They're you know manipulating people's you know trust and anxieties, like you said. But often there isn't code to analyze or any technical aspect to the to the attack itself. And so they tend to sort of like you said, people are often kind of dismissive of them. Um, you're really trying to change that, but with, you know, both all the work you do and also your YouTube channel, just talk about why you think, you know, just within the InfoSec community, we need to be more attentive to these uh, particular type of, this particular type of attack. Yeah. So I will say from my perspective, as a technical junkie who liked doing technical things, he was like, emotions, what are those (laughs) things? I don't have those. I'm not going to deal with any of those. And to be later hit with a baseball bat years later, um, what a lot of it comes down to is we have a single track mind of thinking. We think and believe what we see and uh, it becomes dismissive. And for a lot of the victims who get hit with stuff, and again, for the technical people who are listening to this, um, I was the same person. I was one of those people who was like, why would people fall for this? They're dumb. They're stupid. They're idiots. No one would click that. It's obviously looking suspicious. Um, but what happens is it's easier to emotionally dismiss that and kind of be like, okay, they're dumb and move on. Then taking that break and be like, wait, people are falling for this. We have lost billions of dollars, hundreds of billions of dollars. We have people committing suicide here. Why is that? What emotional thing is happening for that victim to be susceptible to this? And that's a lot of where it comes down to is for many of us in the field, um, we aren't people, many of us are not people persons. I was not a people person. And learning the concept that, hey, this some because somebody feels like they're in love, because they have this emotional connection, it's not something you just disconnect. It's not something you just turn off. And for many of the people who are going into this and who get who get pulled into the scam, emotionally what happens is they were alone. They had nobody there. They may have had a love of their life that was their husband or their wife, and they're divorced or widowed. Um, I've heard this story a thousand times over again, that they were went online, they went to go to this dating website just to look for love. And this one perfect person decided to come over who was also divorced, who was also widowed and is able to emotionally connect with them. And because of that emotional connection, that person now starts to fall head over heels. They have that loving feeling again. They've got a new outlook on life and they become a lot happier. And what it eventually turns into is that love now becomes tainted where they're like, hey, I need you to go and can you go buy me this $20 thing over here? And it starts small for a lot of these cases. And with a lot of the people who do it, they don't realize what's going on. They don't realize that there's somebody out there who wants to go and scam them. 
And it eventually becomes a point where when they've been the scam for so long, they now have to mentally justify, okay, so that entire relationship that I was in where I had those positive feelings, where I was taking pictures of my food and sending it back over to this person, they now have to come to the terms of, okay, no, I actually was scammed. I am a victim. I've been living a lie this whole time. I now have the shame of where I have to go and tell my friends and family that I was that I was victimized because of this. I may have sent hundreds of thousands of dollars and it's hard. And as humans, um, I was actually researching this and it was um, it was a TED talk that kind of pointed me in this direction. It, but it was a concept called on the name of the TED talk was Honest Liars. I forget her name. But what she was talking about was as humans, we will are consciously we will lie to ourselves to justify our behavior. And four times where it becomes extremely difficult to accept something, we will come to the easier conclusion that, hey, all of these victims are dumb as a, and use that just to kind of move forward because our, brain, our brains are lazy in that regard. Um, it takes work to process alternative perspectives. And again, in the concept of the honest liar, we will straight up lie to ourselves. So many of the victims will stay in the scam believing that they're in love because what sounds less painful, like, and again, for those people who are not emotional, who are, or who feel like they have their emotions turned off like I was years ago, um, what sounds easier to accept? The reality of, oh, hey, I actually am in love with this person, or you got abused, you got taken advantage of, you lost hundreds of thousands of dollars, you're feeling suicidal, and you have no one else to turn to because you, because you truly thought well, you who, were Who can you trust now, right? I mean, yeah. Exactly. And, and you, have, you, have trust, you have trust issues because of this. Um, and the amount of abuse that happens with these victims is absolutely horrifying. Um, there was a there was a research uh, there was a psychologist named uh, Monica Witte um, out in Australia who she's done a lot of work um, and she interviewed I think it was like thousands of, of romance victims. And what her main thesis and what she was able to conclude was that when looking at the physiological symptoms that happen in the body for romance victims, again this is going to be a heavy pill to swallow here. Um, for the, the physiological symptoms in the human body for romance scam victims is virtually identical to the physiological symptoms of rape mm. victims. And for the emotional abuse, for the emotional bags that many of these people mm. go through, like that's what mm. happens. It's just happening on a psychological and emotional level, not a physical level. And like I said, that stuff's scary mm. and is heavy. And, um, and I know I've that. heard like many of these will will continue to sort of engage with the scammer, even mm -hmm. after it's been shown to them that this is a scam yep. and that they are being lied to. They still can't mm -hmm. let go of the relationship and they'll continue to, you know, uh, exchange texts and even send money to these people, even mm -hmm. knowing being shown yep. that they've been scammed. Yep. And I've worked with many of these victims. I know people who have worked with other victims, too. And. What happens is I've got one Vic that I was working with that he was in it for he was in it for a while. And for four months, he knew he was in a scam um, and he could not accept the reality that he would that he was a victim. And every because every time the scammer would talk to him, he'd always say, like, bro, and try and play up that relationship. So he tried to have that emotional connection with them. But the reality was he had lost over thirty thousand dollars, was struggling to admit it to himself even though he knew he lost that money. And again, kind of go back to that concept of honest liars here. Um, we don't want to feel like we were tricked. We don't want to feel like we were taken advantage of. Um, again, that's just as human beings, that's just part of our physiology at that point. So you've said in your research, you often um, kind of uh, engage with scammers and lure them in to learn yep. more about them and their operations. Mm -hmm. um, 
uh, a lot of these scams operate out of Nigeria. Um, a, a great big percentage of them are, are based in Nigeria. Um, and obviously these are scammers, so they're not in people who are inclined to be transparent. So how do you um, how do you go about learning the truth about these groups, how they're operating or even who's behind them um, just via your, you know, obviously remote interactions with them? What, what's in your toolkit, so to speak? I spend a lot of time researching and not just when I say researching, not just like, okay, researching BEC and just fraud. Like I'm digging into like cultural history to understand why Nigeria and why the way, why it is the way it is. You anticipated my next question. Um, Go ahead. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's one of those things where it, for me, it's a lot of just researching, talking with people on the ground. And I have a lot of colleagues out in Nigeria that I will bounce this stuff off of so that I can get a local's perspective on this stuff. And when we think of scammers here, we think that they're people that no one would know. You would never know that this scammer was a person. But on Nigeria, like you can walk down the road and like spot five Yahoo boys walking down the road, or, yeah. which is what the scammer yeah, called right. over there. And that's something. No where relationship to Yahoo, the that, company, well, we should know. <laughs> correct. Correct. Yeah. Because I know Yahoo doesn't yeah. like that. So uh, sorry, Yahoo. Um, but, um, but in that, but in that same breath and stuff, a lot of scammers are known. Like all the locals know who's doing it. It's more publicly acceptable. You've got a lot of darker stuff that again ties back to it. But the concept is, if I can play a trick on you and trick you out of money, then it's something where that's free game. That's something that I can do. And you have this whole concept where the uh, many people in Nigeria have that mindset where if they can trick you out, you're good. Um, you have songs and rap videos made made about this. Um, one of them is called Magadan Pay by a person named Kelly Handsome, where um, they straight up refer to people as fools or mugu um, as a part of this stuff. And again, you have entire ecosystem of subculture of rappers who rap and praise the Yahoo boys for saying, oh, you did a great job. You went ahead and uh, took advantage of the people. So this is literally now a part of the culture in Nigeria, the the the. the Yep. industry of 419 scams mm -hmm. and, and yeah, this kind of criminal behavior. And so I'm guessing that local law enforcement is aware of it, but uh, is not uh, taking action. So the perspective of local law enforcement in Nigeria is comp it's a complex issue. And what I mean by that, um, if you go to, so one of the primary people who does a lot of the arresting of scammers is the EFCC. And if you go to their Twitter page right now, you'll see arrest after arrest after arrest after arrest where they're arresting scammers and they arrest them all day long. The problem is at the scale at which this stuff is operating, there is no time to do forensic on the devices, identify more victims, pivot from there, pass it over to the service providers and then identify more people on that. Because like I said, you could go to their Twitter account right now and within the last week, they will have arrested 100 different people who, who's doing this stuff. And in addition to that, EFCC is extremely understaffed. So for the amount of work that they're doing, they're doing a good job. But like I said, the scale that we see this stuff is infathomable um, because you literally have hundreds of thousands and millions of scammers who are doing right. this. Um, in addition to that with the EFCC, there is also some for some places where there's corruption within that organization right. and there's corruption within other police departments, too, out right. there where some of the arresting officers will actually extort the people who are doing the scams and say, hey, give me five hundred thousand dollars. I'll let you free type thing. 
um, because life in, Ni- life in Nigeria is hard. It's not all easy and happy-go-lucky. It's very difficult living in Nigeria. Um, so when you have that corruption that pe- that the Yahoo boys are being extorted in order to go and do some of the scams, you don't know who to trust when it comes to working with law enforcement. Like I said, EFCC is so understaffed and it's hard to do a lot of the stuff because like I said, the resources, the infrastructure just isn't there to go and do forensics on those hundred laptops that were pulled over right. the last hour over the last it's week. like it's like so trying it, like said, a, right it's like the pre-rico you know law enforcement actions against the mafia yeah. which is you, know, you can arrest a lot of low-level criminals you know street corner mm-hmm. criminals but you're never really getting at the the yep. overarching criminal syndicate yeah and, and 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 like we know we know many of the syndicates who are doing it we know folks like ie black axe airlords that we know that they're involved and for them they're internet they're they're literally international criminal syndicates that run stuff in multiple countries other than just Nigeria. Um, and the disbursement where the scammers are, like I said, it's, it's not just Nigeria. We've got folks in Kenya, Ghana, um, Algeria, Tunisia, Morocco. We've got folks in Dubai, South Africa. I could, I could list off a dozen other countries where we know Yahoo boys are sitting, many of which sit right here in the United States. Um, and that, again, it's something where the global disbursement there, again, it's not just a Nigeria problem on here. Um, the Washington Post just uh, profiled one of these criminals um, based in, well, uh, from Nigeria, but he was arrested here in the United States who had um, scammed uh, thousands of Americans out of COVID relief funds, um, you, basically mm-hmm. by applying, you know, stealing with stolen identities, applying for those funds um, as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, and, and I think I think you actually had a role in kind of uh, uh, working with that mm-hmm. reporter as well. Yeah. So, so the way that my relationship was with the COVID relief stuff, um, again, when we were back at Agari, um, we had our group Scatter Canary that we had identified multiple instances where the scammers were applying for COVID relief funds. Um, at the time, it was it was SBA fraud and unemployment funds. But what we did was we pass, once we identified those specific campaigns, we pass it over to law enforcement. We pass over to Secret Service. We said, hey here are these cases, go and identify something with this. Um, and that was one of the things where they knew, they knew this fraud was happening, but they didn't, didn't really know where. And we were kind of able to help point to some of those things. Um, at one point, we knew of 14 states that were hit. But I think in total, I think it was like over 30 states that the scammers had hit. Um, and for scale and scope of how much money had gotten lost... Um, I think it was, a, it was, and I may have, and if I have these, the order wrong, to switch the number, but I think it was $100 billion of unemployment funds that went out. I think it was $72.5 billion of SBA money that went out. So that's almost $200 billion that could have been used to feed Americans who were struggling from COVID that was bought, that was used to buy nice cars and alcohol out in Nigeria. Right. Um, and in addition to that, on the, on the similar topic, um, they actually found a group called APT41 or WinNTI um, to the people who are going to yell at me for how I pronounce that. I'll keep, we'll keep that debate going. But they actually found a Chinese APT group who was doing COVID relief stuff, too. And they sold something like $20 million. So once the <laughs> once that system went live, everybody had a heyday yeah. with it. And like you had Americans taking advantage yeah. of it. You had there were some Indian t- um, folks who were also taking advantage of it. So it was something where many countries actually were dabbling in that system. And like I said, when it came to the BEC side, we saw, I think it was like $100 billion that ended up going out as a result of that. 
And, and that just that we, fuels more cybercrime, right? I mean, that's just money in the pockets of yeah. cyber criminals. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, and it's, and in some cases, we actually had back end access to see some of the chatter that the scammers were doing. So we actually knew what they were going after. We had the templates, we had the templates, we had many of the tutorials that they were using to go and hit these systems. And we knew that from day one, we're like, oh crap, we know a lot of people are getting ready to go after this. So we were kind of over to say, hey, go look at this state, go look at this state, because there's probably a lot. Of and who there. are you dealing with on the on the in law enforcement side? Secret Service. So so we so I do a lot of work with uh with uh with Secret Service. And they were so. able to inter- intervene and, and short circuit some of these, presumably. Yeah, and, and and our relationship was we were able to kind of pass information intelligence up to them and say, hey, here's some fraud that we know of. Here you go. You might want to go look at this. And it was a and with the directionality of that, by being able to pass that stuff up to them, um, it was able to speed the case up. And well, a lot of people who work with the FBI, who work with other, other governments and everything, passing that info, being able to have that collection of information and passing that up um, helps speeds everybody's process up to start stopping the fraud. Like that's what we really need to do. So. so you've been talking recently about a new sort of iteration on these attacks called pig butchering. Um, tell us yep. about pig butchering the name uh does yeah. not sound like it's a good thing so what, what is this yeah and, and it's uh and growing up in north carolina where we used to have a lot of hog roasts and everything i'm like come on y'all could have picked a different name um but uh but pig butchering um is also known in chinese as a shaju pan um is a type of romance scam that usually morphs into investment in crypto okay. fraud and the way it works is you might get a missed text message from somebody to say, hey, how are you? And from there, they'll be like, oh, this must have been a wrong number. Um, and as you start conversing with them, you, you build a relationship with that absolute random stranger. Um, and the way that it works is it usually gets to a point where it's like, hey, let's go and invest in this platform. And you'll go and invest $100,000 guaranteed of like 20% return on your investment. Um, and these people will go and buy the cryptocurrency and upload that and push that up to the, these platforms. And many of the platforms are websites that are made to look real, but they're really not. Um, and the unfortunate thing is that for the scammers who are doing this, um, they're not necessarily like a Nigerian scammer per se. Um, they are people who are in Thailand, Myanmar, or Laos who are human trafficking victims. And those victims of human wow. trafficking are held up in large apartment buildings. Um, and one of the reports that we, that we saw, I think it was, I forget if it was Washington Post or New York Times, but they said there's upwards of like 100,000 victims who are doing this type of fraud. Wow. And they're literally in tall building apartment complexes um, scamming people. Wow. And it's these victims who are now abusing other victims to go and hit some of the stuff too. Um, I've heard stories uh, and the losses that we're seeing on the pig butchering side are way higher than what we're seeing on the romance scams on the traditional Nigerian romance scam side. Um, it is not uncommon for me to hear stories of a million dollars lost here, $1.5 million lost here. Um, was talking to a colleague ye- uh, yesterday, as a matter of fact, and he has one victim who was hit for $2.2 million. Um, she's currently in the hospital with cancer. <sighs> And that's some of their targets is a lot of the elderly and stuff. Um, We've had, we've had a lot of suicides tied back to this. And it's, again, it's, I hate kind of being that downer on some of this stuff, but that's the reality of this is that's how far these scammers will go to do that. 
But also on the flip side, for the people who are being human trafficked, they're literally being beaten and tased to go and scam some of the victims and doing this stuff. So it literally becomes a case of hurt people, hurting people to go and continue stealing more money just so that this person over here doesn't get killed. Um, It's a whole ecosystem of suck. Yeah. Yeah, kind of yeah. almost slave labor being used to to mm-hmm. facilitate, yep. you know, uh, global internet scams. Um, yeah, it's like yep. another another and, depth and the, of, of of suck, as you said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, and what and the way it works is you have people in different countries that will where there will be a job offer to say, hey, go work in this remote country. Um, we'll pay you double the salary, and students will go be. We'll be like, hey, this would be a great job. I get to go travel abroad and everything. And everyone wants to, everyone wants to go travel outside their country, go, go see the world. And what happens is once these people get to where they're, they are, it's already too late. They're in another country. They don't know the language. And it becomes very difficult, again, for them to get out of it. Um, many of them are lured with the fact of, okay, you can go and you can make this money. But in order to get out, you have to pay $5,000. And for some of those cases, it's an amount that seems reasonable that you can kind of work towards. But the problem is that when it goes to those amounts and everything, it's all virtually impossible for them to, to be able to go out of there. Um, again, with that area where much of this fraud is, um, it's actually a part of, uh, like I said, it's Thailand, Myanmar, and Laos. Um, it's called the Golden Triangle. And you have a lot of criminal syndicate activity that happens out there where you have things like casinos, you have um, prostitution rings that are ran out there. Um, and again, it's... We, we believe it's similar actors who are all in that type of fraud and that type of crime with those just a new odds. line of business for them. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. New line of business to go and keep, keep getting more money. Um, when we talk about combating this, um, you know, obviously you've, you've pointed out one of the main drivers of this for, for in countries like Nigeria is just poverty. You know, the people, there's a, a terrible mm-hmm. economy, really high levels of unemployment, lack of economic, economic opportunity and becoming a, a Yahoo Boy is, uh, you know, uh, potentially a road to, um, you know, being middle class. Um, so I guess one solution might be, you know, solve the problem with poverty in uh, Africa. Um, mm-hmm. Here at the local level, on the receiving end of these attacks, um, both as you know, response from the infosec community and also maybe from the policy and law enforcement communities. What do you think is the right way to go after this problem, given that it is so widespread um, and so kind of quiet and subtle in some ways? We, the first thing is we need to rethink how we're doing this. We need to realize that it's a that this is a people problem. And especially when it comes down to working with a lot of the victims, they don't have the emotional support. They, many of them don't have the ability to go and see a therapist. Um, and one of the things I like to recommend, it's going to sound like it's coming from a way different angle here, but um, meditation, breathwork, and mindfulness is something that really helps people process a lot of those difficult emotions and helps them literally reconnect back wow. with their bodies. Interesting. Um, one great example, the victim I told you where he was in the scam for four months. Um, I've been research again, I've been researching a lot of these topics and I was able to do a small hypnotherapy session with him over the phone. And in essence, what I was, what I did was I took all of the muscles in his body, was able to force a relaxation across from them. And he now has the power to do that. And in talking with him, it went from, Oh, Hey, I'm not going to go and be in the, I'm going to continue being in the scam to, Oh, hey, thanks for that. I now know what to do. I'm going to do my best to get out of it. The next time I call you, it's going to be good news. Um, I haven't received a call yet from him, 
But to go from four months of being in this camp to being able to walk him through that, um, it was encouraging. Um, and like I said, a lot of people, the, a lot of people don't know how their emotions work. They don't have that mindfulness and they don't have that mental health thing. Um, and again, as somebody who really, really struggles with anxiety and depression, um, it's something where that's one of the biggest things that helped me through a lot of my stuff and in working and directly we're working a lot of this material. Um, people don't realize how difficult this stuff is, but there's many days where it is yeah. hard. It's really, really yeah. hard work, working most yeah. of the stuff, but it's the right fight. And I know deep down it's, it's where it's supposed well, to be. Well, it is. Yeah. Um, and I thank you for the work that mm -hmm. you're doing. One of the, one of the messages that you reiterate a lot in your YouTube videos and so on, your other talks is just empathy that we need to have empathy. Mm -hmm. First of all, for the of course for the victims of these attacks, and you, and you talk mm -hmm. often about how victims are sort of shamed. Well, you should have known. Mm -hmm. um, you also talk about yep. just having empathy for people who might have been caught up and used as money mules, or even for the perpetrators mm -hmm. themselves, who um, you yep. know might have found their way to this because they had difficult circumstances in their own lives. Um, talk about that. Yeah, so I'll, I'll actually I'll actually tag on the uh, and having empathy for the scammers. Because like I said, that's one, that's where people are going to be like, what? and they're probably like raging on the back of their phone as they're listening to this podcast. But when it comes to many of these scammers, the education that goes over in Nigeria in a lot of cases of how you use a computer, like straight up how you use a computer, we see using a computer as going to build something, watching something on YouTube, going to do something else, go create. But for many of the people who are educated in Nigeria, their concept of using a computer is you use a computer to scam people and that's its sole function. They like that, like, con like, and what I mean by that is consciously, like in their this brain. Is, like, so crazy. But, know. Yeah. 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 And, 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 and like that, again, like I've had to dig into so many weird perspectives on this stuff to understand, to wrap my head around it. Um, or in addition to that, like I said, with the poverty, many of the scammers over there, it is not necessarily a, hey, I want to go and get rich and be the next yeah, hush puppy or a mumfa. Um, some of the people are. I will I will caveat that. But many of the people like just want to live and survive. They got families. They yeah. got kids. They want to go and provide the best yeah. they can. And when you're in a place where there is no unemployment, where poverty, where unemployment is 50%, where you have no opportunities, your government is corrupt, and everybody's taking advantage of, their cell, of each other. Uh, many of the choices that these people have is you either scam or you die. Like that's the reality for many of these people who are doing this. And that's, that's a hard pill to swallow is because again, you, you want to hate the scammers. You want to be so pissed at them for taking advantage of those romance victims. And I am mad at them too. But like I said, it's such a weird perspective here that, like I said, it's, there, there's so much more going on yeah. here too. Um, and to touch on the, the empathy for the romance victims, um, like I, like the analogy I gave earlier, where you have your mechanics not going to yell at you. Um, it's one of those things where people need to realize that there's a whole lot more going on with the with the victims, too. They don't realize that these type of scams are there. They may have heard something on some radio somewhere that were that actually talks about that. And they may have that gut reflex. of, Hey, I don't need to. I can't. I hey, you maybe you shouldn't do this. but they don't know that they need to listen to that. They don't know that they need to realize that, hey, that gut feeling here that I'm feeling, I, sh I should not go and send that money. Um, and many of the victims I've worked with, like that's another thing that, that I've noticed too, is many of them have that gut feeling that they ignored, that they said, hey, maybe I wasn't supposed to do that. 
Um, and because of that, and because many people just don't understand how these scams work, um, they, that whole stupid person, like it's somebody who is going on a website to go and date somebody who's receiving pictures of the person yeah. that they believe they're in yeah. a relationship. They're getting messages in real time. They're receiving flowers to their house. They're receiving real time information and, and again, pictures back and forth. Every single thing that that person is seeing here, again, from that from their consciousness and that perspective, they believe that they are actually in that relationship with that person. So again, everything that they are seeing, everything these victims are seeing to them is real. Everything that they're seeing is real and there. And like that's again, that's yeah. the biggest problem is that when law enforcement goes and talks to any of these thing people, they'll go and beat them down, they'll berate them, they'll say horrible things to them, and be like, "Oh, you're stupid," and kind of give that impression they're idiots. And I've talked with many, um, like I've talked to my local law enforcement here to ask them about some of the scams that they see. And they're like, and that's the perspective many of them have. I know my father, he was also, he also did a lot of these things. And before working this stuff, that was kind of the mindset I had too. These, these people are idiots and they shouldn't have fallen for that. But now that digging into the psychology and understanding a lot yeah. of stuff, like I said, it's a way more complex sure. issue than well, just and also like how people doing atomized that. and lonely people are in our societies. You know, certainly in Western societies, yep. you know, that this notion of you mm-hmm. know you might be living with your three generations of your family, and there's all this, you know, like no, mm-hmm. like these people are really alienated, especially elderly people. They they might not have uh, much contact with other people, and. Mm-hmm. Um, this online uh, relationship becomes a lifeline for them and, uh, and one mm-hmm. that they don't want to let go of because it's a lifeline, you know? <laughs> um, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Ronnie, uh, is there anything I didn't ask you that I should have or anything you want to say that I didn't give you a chance to say? It's been a really fascinating conversation. Oh yeah. It's definitely been fun chatting on it and uh, trying to think like I could, I could seriously talk for like the next four hours on this stuff. So if you ever want me on again, I'm happy to kind of talk through some of this stuff. But um, but like I said, the the big the biggest thing here is realize for people who are tracking BEC, um, define your processes, know what your processes are. Um, your CEO more than likely won't ask you for a gift card, um, and if somebody sends you an email saying they're from payroll, like more than likely that's not. Um, and again, be awesome to each other because it's like we're all we have here. And a lot of people who are doing the scamming again, it's they're in poverty, they're trying to work too. Um, and that's why I advocate so hard for people in Nigeria mm-hmm. um, is because you've got right now the good, some good news here is that you have a culture in Nigeria right now who is starting to turn against the scamming side. They want to go and be successful. So many of the youth out there are starting to learn the correct way of doing tech. You've got places like uh, Future Labs that's kind of like a tech hacker hub, mm-hmm. if you will where they're doing development and things. And we, we help, and the information security helped fund that. So to those who were involved, thank you. Um, and it's things like that that are going to make the difference. And at the end of the day, we can arrest every single scammer tomorrow. We could put cuffs on all of them tomorrow. It does not fix the underlying problems of the poverty in Nigeria, people not having that sense of togetherness to be able to work together as one to be like, hey, let's actually try and make a difference and be awesome to each other. So that would be my biggest takeaway there is just be kind to one another because there, because it's a crappy world right now and there's a whole lot of suck. So <laughs> indeed. indeed, we'll leave on that note. That's a good, I think that's a good note to leave on. <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> Ronnie Tokazowski uh, of CoFence, thank you so much for coming in and speaking to us on Conversing Labs. It's, uh, it's really been a pleasure having you on. And like you said, we will have you on again, I can guarantee you.